Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. The Word of God, and we're going to pick up at Acts chapter 10, and it will be in the middle of the first time that Peter had ever shared his faith with a Gentile. So Acts chapter 10 and verse uh, 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, it's really important to live the life in front of people, but at some point you have to open up your mouth and take the risk of sharing your faith and close the deal. Here's the challenge of, of, of progress. Only those who risk going too far can find out how far they can go. And you got you to gotta take that risk. And sometimes the riskiest thing you can do is to do nothing. And he said, and he's taking a huge risk. Uh, the church is not yet behind him. God has given him a vision, a, a, a picnic blanket, if you will, came down from heaven. A sheet came down from heaven. He saw all these unclean animals. And God was saying, kill and eat. And he was like, Lord, I have never eaten an unclean thing. I've, I've never, I, I've had a kosher diet all my life. But God was telling him, that things were about to shift and, and, and change. And then God told him right after that experience to go to Cornelius' home. And Peter says this, in truth, I perceive. This was an ancient way of saying, I cross my heart and hope to die. Despite the fact that Peter uh, grew up in a time where, where many Jewish men began their day saying, thank God I'm not a Gentile. Thank God I'm not a woman. Thank God I'm not a tax collector. Thanks God I'm not a slave. This is how you began the day, thanking God for who they were not. Matter of fact, if a Jew married a Gentile during this time, the community immediately had a funeral for that person, and you were not allowed to ever have contact with them again. But Peter says, despite his culture, despite years of learning, that he was fully convinced about something. He says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. People may prejudge. People may be biased. People may play favorites. But God discriminates against no one. I, I like what Zora Neale Hurston says. She said, sometimes I feel discriminated against, but, but it doesn't make me angry. It merely astonishes me. How can anyone deny themselves the pleasure of my company? It's beyond me. And often that's the attitude you got to take with crazy people. But Peter continues. He says, but in every, not just the Jewish, but in every nation, every people group, whoever fears him and works righteousness, watch this, is accepted by him. My Bible says God has no stepchildren. The gospel was to the Jew first, but not to the Jew only. So don't think for even a minute that you at any point in your life have ever been any less valuable. Than, you might have been more stupid, but don't think for a moment you were any less valuable than any other person. And at the same time, treat everyone like they have value, not just the folks you want to impress. 
He said, but this, this, is, this is revolutionary what Peter is saying. Remember, Jews stayed away from the Gentiles. And, and if they went into a Gentile home, they, they had to, to bathe. It was a whole thing. But he says, this, 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 this radical say, but in every nation, all ethnicities, whoever fears him and works righteousness is what accepted by him. If God knows everything about me and still accepts me, who am I, Arthur, not to accept myself? I, I'm learning in my older age. I wish I got this in my 20s. Stop worrying so much about everyone else's opinions. God only requires me to love others, not to please them. Now, I got to love you, but I don't got to please you. And he goes on, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. So, so, so Jesus preached throughout Israel, this equal opportunity gospel. He, he preached the men and, and the women, and, and he even did things for Gentiles. But Peter wanted to make clear, just in case folks just thought Jesus was a prophet with some, some, some new message, watch what he says. And he is Lord. For a devout Jew to call Jesus a human being, Lord, was huge. You know, in the first century, actually this happened long before the first century, the scribes began to feel that the name of God was, was, was so sacred that it was actually too sacred to be uttered. And what they would do is they replaced Yahweh or Yahweh, however you want to pronounce the term. We say Jehovah, that's Yahweh with an English accent, if you will. Instead of writing Yahweh in the Old Testament, they replaced Yahweh with the term Lord. And they did this so that no one could risk defacing the name. You, you didn't want to accidentally spit on the scroll on that spot that said Yahweh while reading it. You didn't want you to, to mispronounce it. They, so what they did is they, they made it impossible for, for us to, to, to mess up the, the first commandment, thou shalt not take the Lord God's, the, 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 the God's name in, in vain here. So, but, but matter of fact, even today with, with, with some uh, Jewish people, they won't write G-O-D, they'll write G slash D, and they do this for similar reasons. But Peter, speaking of Jesus, said he is Lord. And to the Jewish ear, that meant a whole lot. And then he said, let me, let me finish that in case you, you might think I'm just trying to be respectful calling him sir or, or something. Right, let, let me make it clear what I'm talking about. He said, he is Lord of what? All. Saying he's Lord of all made the statement emphatic. Only God is God of all. No one could have misconstrued Peter's meaning. And when deity took on humanity, he once and for all time bridged the eternal gulf between God and humankind. And he said, that word, he's speaking again to a centurion, that word, you know. This gospel, the four narratives, are not just, uh, you know, some, some story that some brilliant person put together. Even Gentiles like this centurion soldier were familiar with God did through the life of Jesus Christ in history and in time. So he said, that word, you know. The Bible, by the, by the way, the Gospels weren't even written at this point. But, but it was common knowledge what Jesus was doing. In fact, 
Crowds came just to look at him and to behold a wonder. The word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Jesus' ministry happened in a specific place, a specific time, with specific people that had specific names, that by the time the Gospels were written, those folks were still alive, and they could either vouch or deny the claims that Luke wrote about in either Acts or in his Gospel. Then it goes on, in verse 38 it says, You know how God, who? God. Anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who? With the Holy Spirit, who? That's the same Holy Spirit that moved upon the face of the waters at creation. We're about to see that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all involved in Jesus' healing ministry. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with what? Power. Jesus was not just an inspirational speaker. He was just, he's not just a guy that had a few clever things to say. Jesus did things no one else did. Jesus was known for getting it done. On the cross, he didn't say, well, you know what? I thought about it. You know what? I talked about it. You know what? I hope for it. No, he said, it is finished. Beginners are many, finishers a few. And Jesus did it and finished everything that God had him start on earth. And he went about doing good. Jesus helped the poor. In fact, remember when uh, uh, Judas went out at that last supper, the disciples said, well, he must... Be, be about to take some money to, to, to give alms, which means to feed the poor, which means it was customary for Jesus to give out a, uh, the church's treasury, if you will, or, or the ministry's treasury to folks in need. But, but Jesus was also known for teaching the powerful to fear God and to be compassionate and, fear, and fair. So he went about doing good, but then as a conjunction, and healing all. Does the Bible say he only healed good people? He says all people. See, my Bible said there is none righteous, no, not one. Jesus has never healed a perfect person. So why is it that many Christians, many people believe that only when they get the life right, only after they list and repent of all their sins, Only if I become spiritual enough and get good enough that God might one day heal me. Well, the problem is, loved one, that you haven't read your Bible. Jesus healed prostitutes, tax collectors, lepers, religious people, unreligious people, Jews and Gentiles alike. Matter of fact, one man was such a sinner, and this was the guy at the pool of Bethesda, Such a sinner that right after Jesus healed him, he ran after the man, found him in the temple. And what did he say? He said, sin no more. Stop this sinning, dude. Lest something worse happens to you. So if right after the miracle, Jesus had to chase him down to say, cut it out. Obviously, when Jesus healed him, he didn't have it all together. 
So the, the reason we often don't receive from God is because we're looking at ourselves. I'm not worth it. I don't measure up. I don't have enough faith. That's your problem. Because you're looking at you. If you want to receive from God, look at him. Look at his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his provision. God, I'm not looking at my weakness. I'm looking at your strength. He went about doing good, healing all. Is any left out of all? Who were oppressed by the devil. Dear ones, please stop confusing God and the devil. The first thing you need to know about this subject of healing is that God did not put that disease on you to teach you or your loved ones something. No, my Bible says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Sure, I learned things while I was sick. Sure, I learned things even while I was hungry, Uh, even tired. I learned some things at school. But that doesn't mean that the teacher put that sickness on me, put that hunger on me, put that tiredness on me so I would learn. So some people, we so stubborn, we won't listen any other way. But that don't just because you learned only after you got put in jail doesn't mean God put you in jail. Your bad decisions put you in jail. And God, by his grace, didn't give up on you. And when you had nothing but God, he was still available. And he continues, he says, for God, he went about doing good, healing all them oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. So if God is with us today, we should be able to experience in Christ's name the same results people experienced with Jesus in the past. But the problem today is a lot of people worship a different Jesus. And I don't understand quite why we do it. But the highest, a lot of folks, gospel go, you know, the Bible says he went about doing good. So it's like, as a believer, we're going to do good deeds. But as soon as we start talking about things that are measurable and, and, and require the power of God and God to show up and show himself as real, we back up. But he didn't just go about doing good. He also went about healing all who were oppressed. Do good. But I tell you, if I'm sick in body, man, I'm glad you bring me a cup of water, but I really would appreciate if you use that name on what I'm dealing with in my situation. Hebrews 13 and 8 says something that's very, very important, and I'm going to say it a lot. The writer here says, Jesus Christ is the same. So if your Jesus today is different than the Jesus in this book, I don't care whether Dr. such and such told you such and such, I I don't care. I don't care where they went to seminary. I I don't care where they got their education. They're talking about a different Jesus. Because the Holy Writ says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today meaning he's not changed over the centuries. He's the same God and forever. And what the scripture is saying is is, is all that Jesus ever was or will be, he is right now. But you see, it takes faith to talk that way. It's so easy to put in the distant past. Yeah, yeah, if I was there, what I would have did and what I would have, you know, and, 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 you know, it's easy to, you know, yeah, yeah, he did all that. But it takes faith. You know what? He did it then, but he'll do it right now for me 
in my life, in my situation. Say, well, 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 Bishop, if it was God's will to heal us, I would have been healed. My mother or my great-grandmother went to church all her life, loved God, but, but something terrible happened and, and she passed on. First of all, we're all going to pass on. Secondly, let me tell you this. this. This healing thing is not about not dying. We all going to die. No, no one leaves life alive. <laughs> Humanity has had almost 100% mortality rate. Every baby that comes into the earth dies. Period. At some point. Some of us, we're like, Lord, heal my body because we're scared. Because we're scared of what might happen when we die. That's not a motivation for healing. The right motivation for healing is, Lord, I'm not done yet. Lord, I have some children to raise. I got some souls to, to reach. I got a community to serve. And Father, I need you to pass me up and keep me whole just long enough till I'm done. And Lord, as soon as I'm done, I don't want to stay a second later. Lord, take me home to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. I want no more of this stuff. As soon as I'm done, Lord, take me. But here's the deal. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The Greek there for earthen vessels actually speaks of cheap. And it speaks of pottery that's easily broken. Pay attention. God puts the treasure of the, the Holy Spirit and our, our recreated man, all that wonderful stuff, in easily broken vessels. He knows that. So in order for us to fulfill our purpose, when we break, he's willing to patch us up. Until we're done. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? How many of you, see nowadays we, we have so much stuff and so much money, we don't patch stuff anymore. Matter of fact, we buy stuff pats to be fastable. But, 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 but there was a time where we didn't want to have to buy a new pair of pants when the hole got in the jeans, so we put a patch on the jeans to extend the life. God has a purpose for your life. And if you get a hole in a place, that, that, what's the purpose of the pants? To keep your legs warm and all the rest, right? And, and, and if that, that the hole is getting away of you functioning and, and doing what you're supposed to do, God's willing to patch it. It, it shouldn't be a reach to think about God as a, a healer. Say, well, 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 bitch, I hear that, but if, if God really wanted to heal people, we, we would all be well and healed. Matter of fact, I'm mad at God because of sickness on the earth. How could a good God have a baby born with a cleft lip? A baby born and, and, and he's malformed and, or she's, she, 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 she's, she, she's missing an arm or, or, or a limb. How could God do? First of all, you keep confusing God and the devil. I know you're having a hard time here. Let's, let's go to the book unless you say this is going crazy. 2 Peter 3 and 9. Let's listen to Peter again. He said, the Lord is not slack or slow. That's what it means concerning his promise. As some count slackness or slowness. But the real deal is God is patient, long-suffering toward us. You see, people 
felt that Jesus was taking too long returning. So Peter had to correct him. He said, Jesus isn't slow returning. He's been waiting on your slow butt to get right so you don't get left. See, it's not an issue that Jesus is reluctant and God's uncertain. I don't know that final number. I don't know how many people are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But I know that God is brilliant. I mean, all the trillions of stars and everything out there, he knows each one by name. He's incredible. I mean, what, 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 what seems huge to us is, is very small to him. So, so God may be waiting for child 1 billion, 300 million, 33,005 to come to him before he returns. Now, you say, well, that's, that's a huge number and it's very impersonal. Imagine if you had 10 children. You were one of the whinings. Okay, just, okay. I think they had 12. I don't know. But you, you, you had 12 children, okay? And you, you, you go to the state carnival, state fair, and then you load up the car to take everyone home, but one child's missing. How many of you would leave that child just because you have the other 11? There'd be no CC, no BB. You hear what I'm saying? And, and, and that's what a human, you, you got to understand, with a billion people, that's barely two children to God. He's not a human being. So he, he may be waiting for, for, for that final child to come in. And the only reason he didn't come back yesterday was he wanted to give you a last chance today. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media. 